ESPN Radio. Freddie Coleman and Chris Canning on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and ESPN+. Plus. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Get at us on Twitter at Coleman ESPN and at Chris Candy 99 Also tap in on the Candy call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. We want to hear from you on what the best landing spot for Deshaun Watson is. It's down mm. to three teams, the Atlanta Falcons, the Carolina Panthers, and the New Orleans Saints. All teams making moves, making pitches to get the franchise quarterback of their dreams in Deshaun Watson. We want to hear from you on what the best place for Watson is. But right now, Freddie C., we got to go to the call-in line and bring on ESPN sports betting analyst Aaron Dolan. And Aaron, it's a great time to have you with St. Paddy's Day and the first full day of the NCAA tournament. It's fair to say that this is going to be the least productive workday of the new the new year. But I will say this, um, in looking at March Madness, feels like I was about to bust everybody's brackets right now with them being down to Richmond in five minutes to go. But looking at today's games, what are some of the plays that you actually like that you see value in for the NCAA tournament from a betting perspective? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I was down right now, and Gonzaga's down by one. Uh, what's interesting is through the first nine games so far in the tournament, including the first four, favorite are 8-0 straight up and against the spread. So eventually we are going to see some dogs upset here. Notre Dame and Rutgers, that closed the pickup on Caesar. Some books, it closed at minus one. But uh, fortunately for me so far today, I had Colorado State, Michigan over 137. It hit 138. So that is the luck of the Irish on the first day. Other picks that I was looking at, Marquette, UNC, over 152.5. Uh, the reason I like this is because both these offenses can score. This game's going on right now, by the way. And their defenses are just not great. Also for UNC in the last 10 regular season games against tournament teams, they've allowed an average of 80 points, and they've cashed that over in seven of the last 10 games. So I was really liking that. And then for another game, which unfortunately for me, I I feel like I have some favorites in the mix, which makes me nervous considering the favorites have been so good against the spread. I wanted to lay the points with Arkansas against Vermont. I know Vermont's such a popular pick for an underdog spot, but – Arkansas's defense is actually really good. They're ranked in the top 20 in adjusted defensive rating on Ken Palm. On top of that for Vermont, look, I'm not trying to – it's not a knock at them with conference here, but they're an American East team. Yes, they have momentum. They haven't lost since December 7th, but they're not playing competition like the Razorbacks are playing. So I actually think the Razorbacks will be able to cover that just based on their defense being able to kind of clamp down there. I also – like St. Mary's, minus two and a half. Look at me giving out these favorites. Usually that's not me. I'm usually taking the underdogs. But the Gales are 17th in adjusted offensive efficiency, ninth in defensive efficiency on Kempom. They can hang with the best of them. They also beat a team like Gonzaga this season. They led the West Coast Conference in points allowed, rebounds, rebounds allowed, field goal, three-point, and free-throw attempts. Now, as for Indiana, we saw them win that first four game against Wyoming, but their 5-10 and 10 record against teams in the tournament isn't great for me. On top of that, they're 2-5 against the spread as an underdog of five points or less. So I think St. Mary's offense still get things going, put up a ton of points, and their defense will limit uh, Indiana in this game. Aaron Dolan, ESPN Sports betting analyst. Hit her on Twitter, Aaron K. Dolan, joining Freddie Coleman and Chris Canty on ESPN Radio and ESPN+. Plus. I always tell people don't be seduced by a team having a great run in a conference tournament, whether it's Virginia Tech in the ACC and Iowa in the Big Ten. How does Vegas view those teams who are white hot coming into this tournament? And as you mentioned, Iowa losing to Richmond right now, and Virginia Tech could be one of those one-and-done teams, even though they had a great run in the ACC tournament, Aaron. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the odds are set on how they expect them to do in these first couple of matchups. Of course, they're absolutely going to start switching up. I mean, I think what's really important when you're looking at some of these teams, at least when I've been tracking the futures over the last couple of weeks, is looking at a team's adjusted defensive rating as well as momentum and just how they're really stacking up against good competition. You're in a spot here when you, you know, enter the tournament where some of these teams, like I just mentioned, Vermont and American East team, yes, they're, they have a crazy amount of momentum, but they're not playing teams that are, you know, a team up to the caliber of an SEC type team. So the lines, the or excuse me, the bookmakers and whatnot, they factor all that in there. But at the same time, I mean, it really does depend what conference you're in in terms of where you're going to land in those futures markets. Well, and speaking of the futures market, Aaron, are, are there any teams that are out there right now that you think have a tremendous amount of value when it comes to being able to make it out of their respective region? Yes, I like Tennessee 4-1. to one. I've been talking about this. I know this is a really tough part of the bracket to come out of the South, but Tennessee 36 in adjusted offensive rating, third in defensive rating. Their defense is absolutely elite. They have the momentum. They've won 12 of the last 13 games, and that was against elite competition. They beat Kentucky twice, Auburn once. They just won the SEC tournament title against Texas Tech, who, by the way, is one of the best defenses in the country, and they won that game by 15 points. I think they can get by a Villanova squad. They already beat Arizona. That's number one seed. So I do really like Tennessee at 4-1. to one. Also, if you want to take them to win it all, a couple of weeks ago it was 60-1. to one. Uh, my coworker Joe Fortenball has a ticket for that, but it's still sixteen to one right now to win it all. When I did my bracket challenge uh, for ESPN, I actually have Tennessee winning it all, so I was going with a long shot there. But I will say, in the past twenty-one national championships, twenty of those were won by a number one, number two, or number three seed. So I'm rocking with Tennessee. So, do we dare ask you who are the other teams in the Final Four? <laughs> the other teams that I have in the Final Four, I have Gonzaga. I have Kansas, and I have Kentucky. I'm a little nervous for Gonzaga right now. You sound nervous. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of things going on right now, a lot of things going on in my head. Um, I think the number one seed that's probably the shakiest, honestly, is Baylor, just given that LJ Cryer and the injuries that are going on there. But a lot of people are, are also counting out Gonzaga. A lot of people in the West region really, really like Texas Tech. I mean, th- their defense is great. I just, again, that's why I'm rocking with a Tennessee-type team because I already saw how they played against each other. Aaron, I got another question for you, and this is in the NFL. We're, we're, the big storyline that everybody is following is where Deshaun Watson is going to land. The Houston Texans are ready to trade him, and the three finalists are all NFC South teams. I was curious as to how – you view the the NFC overall and how Deshaun Watson being traded to that division could affect the futures market. Yeah, it absolutely will affect the futures market. I'm looking right now. We have a in our big gambling chat. Um, these odds for the NFC South did just come back up. Tampa Bay is at minus two thirty after the Tom Brady news. New Orleans moved to plus four hundred. They moved out. Atlanta moved really far out, plus five hundred to twelve to one. Carolina, meanwhile, also plus 250 to plus 700. Now, some of these, or excuse me, some of these are are moving around drastically right now. Tampa Bay moving back just slightly. Um, Look, with the Deshaun Watson rumors, it's going to keep moving the odds. These rumors, yes, they are factored into the lines. As much as people don't think they are, they're going to put the value where they think a potential player is going to go. It's not surprising. It's just something you have to keep your eyes on because as we know in the NFL, it, it, should, it can just get crazy. I mean, the, probably the worst thing that happened for Aaron Rodgers, aside from signing for all that money, was the fact that Tom Brady came back and unretired. And something wild about that is Tom Brady was the most bet-on player to win the MVP 
at Caesar Sportsbook while he was unretired. Wow. That's wow. how much faith people have in that man. That is incredible. Well, Aaron, we appreciate the great insight. My bracket loves you because you actually <laughs> said that Tennessee is going to make the Final Four, and I got them winning the South region as well. But we appreciate a few Let's minutes go. of your time. We look forward to talking to you again next week, hopefully without our brackets being too badly busted up. Yes, for sure. <laughs> All right, that's ESPN <laughs> Sports betting analyst Aaron Dolan. And, Freddie, see a lot of good information from Aaron, but that's yeah. the one I've got my fingers crossed on, the Tennessee Volunteers being able to make it out of that South region. Everybody is on that Arizona bandwagon, and I'm mm. not quite sure that I want to be in that space. In Tennessee, say what you want, plays in the SEC, and we know how tough competition is in that conference. Yeah, Chris, they have an elite defense, and Rick Bronson a terrific job with this basketball team, and Fulkerson is one of the most underrated players where he's that space-age stretch five that can pick and roll, he can step out and make shots, and he's a terrific defender. They're a sneaky team. I got two sneaky teams. I think I get the Final Four. I got Tennessee that could do it out of the South, and I got UConn out of the West. They play mm. tough. They play physical. Danny Hood does a great job coaching that team and always able to make the right kind of adjustments in games. If a UConn makes it out of the West or a Tennessee makes it out of the South, those are two sneaky teams that a lot of people aren't talking about that could get on a really good run and they could be a matchup problem no matter who they play in those respective regions. No, that would include two massive upsets because everybody is saying that Gonzaga and Arizona is on a collision course for one another mm-hmm. and that would throw a lot of people's brackets in Mayhem. I'm just saying, just absolute mayhem. But uh, coming up next, better landing spot for Deshaun Watson, Atlanta, Carolina, or New Orleans. We're taking your calls on it, Patrick, in Atlanta. We see you. We're going to get to you on the other side of the break. You're listening to Freddie Coleman and Chris Canny, ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. It's the biggest unknown right now in the NFL. Where Deshaun Watson will play football next year. The Atlanta Falcons have been making inquiries and having discussions about trading for Deshaun Watson. He's from there. He knows the area. We talked about Atlanta as being one of those teams that may have been ready to move on from Matt Ryan for maybe the past two years. Kenny and Coleman on ESPN Radio and E+. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Of course, we're monitoring the Deshaun Watson situation. Watson Watch is on high alert, but... <laughs> Freddie C., we also got the NCAA tournament in full swing, the first full day of the tourney, and already it looks like we got somebody on upset alert. Fill us in on that, big fella. Yeah, right now, Iowa team that had a great run winning the Big Ten championship. They're down 63-61 to to Richmond, 15.2 seconds to play. Richmond with mm. the ball at the free throw line, still a 1-1, one and one, but their bigs are getting carved up inside by Richmond's bigs, who aren't that big, but they've been able to take advantage of Iowa inside. And we talk about five, 12 matchups each and every year. And I'd circle this game. I didn't think Richmond was going to win it, but I said, Chris Mooney does a great job coaching this team. They're going to make it hard on Iowa. They're about to make it hard on a lot of people's brackets that may have had an Iowa team going to the sweet 16. And you mentioned Seth Greenberg had Iowa going to the final four. Yeah, he's big on Keegan Murray, and it doesn't seem like Keegan Murray's going to have a lot of time or a lot of games to display his talents in the NCAA tournament based on the look of it. But we got to figure out what's going on with the Deshaun Watson situation because it's looking like there are two teams that have emerged from the pack of four teams initially at the beginning of this week that are the front runners to land Deshaun Watson, that being the New Orleans Saints and the Atlanta Falcons. Now, we got word earlier today that the Atlanta Falcons – are trying to put the full-court press on, as well as the New Orleans Saints. And the Saints have cleared $30 million in cap space over the last 48 hours in restructuring contracts. And they have also been one of the teams that have been reported to have had a second meeting with Deshaun Watson. So it seems like 
Deshaun has the option to choose between going back home and playing, you know, in Atlanta, which is a stone's throw from his hometown of Gainesville, Georgia, or he could go with the franchise that has a better track record over the course of the last decade with sustained success, and that would be the New Orleans Saints. So, Freddie C., mm-hmm. out of the two destinations, which yeah. one seems like the best spot for Deshaun? Well, as someone who's been in a job interview or two, when somebody says you're coming back for a second interview and they want you to meet the human resources officer and everybody like that, that means the job is yours if you want <laughs> when it comes to New Orleans Saints and Deshaun Watson. Personally, I think that's a better landing spot, and it's nothing against the Atlanta Falcons, a team in his home home area from the home state of Georgia where Deshaun Watson is from. But And I know Dennis Allen, not Sean Payton. I get it. I understand that. But that defense, I believe, is going to be really good once again if they don't have any kind of injuries that can set anything back in the National Football League. You know he's got a choice running back in Alvin Kamara. Michael Thomas is coming back as a wide receiver. Whatever offensive line defections they're going to have, they're going to be able to fix that, in my opinion, with Mickey Loomis, the general manager. That team puts him in the best position to not just win right now, but win for two, three, four years. Because the organizational structure, even though, Chris, it does not have Sean Payton anymore, there's still enough of those pieces there. It's on Dennis Allen, no question, to make this work. He didn't have a first good go-around with the Denver Broncos in his first coaching stint. But I think he's learned a little bit from seeing Sean Payton, how he operates, and that's going to serve not only that team well, but somebody like Deshaun Watson well, and not just in 2022, whenever he gets on the field in the NFL. Yeah, that's the one thing about the New Orleans Saints situation. I'm not going to assign the same level of success to that team with Sean Payton not being there that we've seen over the course of the last decade and a half. I just can't do it, and that's why I think it's a little closer when comparing the two teams than a lot of folks on the outside might believe. But let's go out to the candy calling line and bring on Patrick in Atlanta. Patrick, you're on ESPN Radio. What up? What's up, guys? Now, listen, let me first say I called last week and told you he's going to Atlanta. But anyway, (laughs) he is coming to Atlanta, and here's why. And here's why it is the best situation for him. First of all, you said it. He's from here, right? Let me tell you what. I trust Arthur Smith more than I trust anybody in Carolina or New Orleans. Also, I'm looking at a certain tight end out of the University of Florida that makes me go, whoa. Kyle Pitts is just a man. And, you know, I, don't, I, I think they're going to be terrible this year. I don't think it, Deshaun has to care about this year. He's probably going to be suspended maybe six games for, just for conduct, right? And so, like, they're going to have a better draft pick than New Orleans as well. And I know he's coming because if you also think about it, Casey Hayward and A.J. Terrell have the same agent as Deshaun Watson. It's going to happen. Well, Patrick, you make some great points. Now, the draft pick one, I don't think it's going to matter because that's going to Houston anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Houston has approved all the trade packages for all of the teams that are involved in the Deshaun Watson's conversations. As a matter of fact, the teams couldn't talk to Deshaun until Houston first approved the proposals uh, that the teams of the teams given the compensation to him. So, uh, I mean, that's something that goes without saying, but we have to assume that the starting price for Deshaun Watson is three first-round draft picks, and that's that's what they're asking for. And it seems like they're poised to get it with all the teams that are involved. But if you're Deshaun, yeah, Atlanta seems like a spot that makes a lot of sense, especially given the mental and emotional toil that the last year and a half has taken on you. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Just the, 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 the toll, the weight of all of that, going back home, going to an environment that you're familiar with, going to an owner that you have a pre-existing relationship with, All of those things matter. All of those things have to be weighted. And then 
Bringing up Kyle Pitts, I think that's important to this conversation, not only as a talent, because we know that he set the receiving record for a tight end as a rookie, but, I mean, he set the rookie tight end receiving record. Let me rephrase that. But Kyle Pitts also put something out there on Twitter earlier today that has (laughs) since been deleted Mm -hmm. where he says it's about to be scary for the Falcons. It's about to be scary in Atlanta. The smiley face emoji with the zipper lips, that was then taken down, also making the link. Kyle Pitts and Deshaun Watson had the same agent as well. So you would connect the dots and say Kyle Pitts has some inside information that not everybody else does. So those are the developments that have happened today with the New Orleans Saints and the Atlanta Falcons where you can make a case that signs point to to both teams being the front runners in the Deshaun Watson sweepstake. And now it's just about Deshaun Watson making that decision. Another piece of information that's important to this conversation, Freddie, Matt Ryan, the quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons, has a $7.5 million roster bonus due tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So not that that's putting a shot clock on Deshaun Watson, but but if that's the place that you want to go, you could help save Arthur Blake a little bit of money that he can then turn around and give back to you if you decide that you want to go to the Atlanta Falcons. Make that decision this evening as opposed to making it tomorrow morning. Just putting it out there, food for thought. But it feels like... Mm -hmm. This is going to be a decision that's made in the next 24 to 48 hours. With all that being said, and I have the hometown love for our caller that he had. He said he called and said he was going to go to Atlanta. Although he trusts Arthur Smith of the one year more than Dennis Allen, but that's a lot of faith in Arthur Smith. I don't trust any of them head coaches. I don't trust any of them. But the question is, what is a better landing spot? And I know Kyle Pitts is there, but Deshaun Watts will make any better spot, any landing spot better. And he has more personnel with the New Orleans Saints than the Atlanta Falcons. And by the way, to bring some memory to everybody's everybody's memory, Calvin Ridley's not going to be part of this organization. So you got to find a wide receiver to go along with Kyle Pitts. This way way he's not seeing double and triple coverage anymore because that is a bad boy tight end. There's no doubt about that. They have so much of an offensive system in the Saints that can really – that really favors a quarterback being a point guard and sharing that ball and sharing the sugar, Steve Lavin from Fox Sports likes to say, with a point guard in college basketball. We've seen Deshaun Watson being able to do that with the Houston Texans. We not, he's not going to have anywhere near the personnel that he's going to have with the Saints. So, yeah, he may go to the Atlanta Falcons because of the hometown thing and being in his home state. But for my money, the better landing spot is that Saints team. With that defense, with Alvin Kamara as a running back, and plenty of wide receivers to spread the football around. If I'm Deshaun Watson, nothing against the Atlanta Falcons, but a better landing spot for me in 2022 and my football future is that organization with the Saints instead of the Atlanta Falcons playing in his home state. All right, all right. You continue to throw shade on the Atlanta Falcons. I don't like it. But coming up next, (laughs) we're actually going to have somebody – that has some inside information in the Atlanta Falcons organization, somebody that covers the team that's around him very closely. He'll be able to give us the latest on the Falcons side of the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. Also, RJ in Denver, we see you on the Kenny Calling Line. We're going to get to you on the other side of the break. ESPN Radio. Kenny and Coleman on ESPN Radio and E+. And Freddie C., we, we, we got an update on the NCAA tournament, don't we? Yes, we do. And if you're afraid of spiders, this update is not for you because Richmond, the number 12 seed, they take down the number 5 seed, Iowa. Great ball game by Richmond. Think about this. Three years ago, after Chris Mooney, the head coach of Richmond, finished 13-20, there were fire signs all over the place in that campus, Chris Canty, when it comes to Richmond. Three years later, they beat Iowa 67-63 in a Midwest region first-round game, and Jacob Gill couldn't be guarded. He had 24 points, 6 assists, and 6 rebounds, but give a lot of credit to Richmond, who had to win four games in four days 
in the A-10 tournament just to get here, and now they're on the way to the 32, the round of 32 in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, so thanks a lot, Richmond, for busting my bracket because I had them going to the Sweet 16, that being the Iowa Hawkeyes, and that's not going to happen. Thanks a lot for the tip, Seth Greenberg. I really, really appreciate it. But switching gears and getting back to the NFL, Deshaun Watson wise, of course that's in full swing. That We're on high alert to see where Deshaun Watson goes. And for the inside scoop on the Atlanta Falcons side of this conversation, we got to go out to the candy calling line and bring on ESPN Falcons reporter Michael Rothstein. And, Michael, we're talking about the, the two teams that are, appear to be the front runners for Deshaun, that being the New Orleans Saints and the Atlanta Falcons. With the Falcons, there is the complication of dealing with the incumbent quarterback, Matt Ryan, who is due to earn a roster bonus of $7.5 million tomorrow. That could that could be a, a significant uh, hurdle in terms of trying to find a way to create the cap space to be able to absorb Deshaun Watson's contract. Can you give us some more insight as how to Atlanta front office plans to deal with that piece of it? Um, well, I don't really know the answer to that question. I've, I've always been told, don't lie, just if you don't know the answer, just say you don't know. And I don't know how they do it financially. Of all of the things when it's come to the Deshaun Watson situation, from a football perspective. I'm just going to say from a football perspective because there's obviously everything else going on away from football. But from a football perspective, the thing that has been the most challenging to me to how they're going to figure it out is the financial piece of it. Because, yes, like you said, he's owed a $7.5 billion roster bonus. Now, they were initially going to maybe turn that into a signing bonus, but that doesn't do anything, and they didn't file the restructure that was maybe going to get filed. So I don't know how they do it, but in – the reality of all of this, I don't think that that $7.5 million is necessarily going to be an impediment for the Falcons in making that move. And I say that in part, too, because the Falcons are already going to have, if they trade for Deshaun Watson, something like $70 million tied into the quarterback position next year because of Watson's $35 million plus whatever the dead money on that Ryan will be. So at that point, what's another seven point five? Like you Like you're pretty much gutting your – your salary cap for a year and in some ways gutting your roster because you don't don't have a lot of top-end talent on that roster right now already. So I think at that point, it's just if you're making this deal, you're going all in on that. Maybe things won't be good in 2022, but you're going to maybe have a lot of money in 2023. And how much of that is Deshaun Watson weighing in terms of what decision he's going to make involving these two teams that are the front runners in the same division when it comes to the Saints on one side and the Falcons from his home state of Georgia on the other side, Michael? I, I honestly don't know. Any person I've tried to get in touch with in terms of Sean Watson's camp, anyone that I've attempted to talk to in terms of the Falcons camp, has been met by this a magic sound. Silence. And that's <laughs> what I've been getting from everybody so far in terms of what's going on here. And that, frankly, is on the record, is off the record. Like This has become a very locked-up situation in terms of People talking to me. Now, people are clearly talking to other people. But in terms of talking to me, no one's saying much of anything. And that has been the case since literally Adam Schefter and Chris Morton's report came out. I texted some people just even to be, hey, can you, feed, you, know, can you explain this to me? Is this real? And I have not heard a single word from anybody. Whenever I mention Sean Watson's name or, or the situation, uh, I do not get anything back or I get something very short back from somebody which doesn't tell me anything. So to me, what does that tell you? That tells you that this is a very real thing. Mm, wow. 
Talking with ESPN Falcons reporter Michael Rothstein on ESPN Radio. And, and Michael, this thing heated up when we found out that criminal charges won't be pursued against Deshaun Watson. And there are the, the outstanding civil complaints. I think it's 22 in total. How much concern do the Falcons have about those civil complaints and those being addressed, as well as any potential discipline that the NFL may levy against Deshaun Watson moving forward? Again, it goes to what I was saying before. No one's talking. No one's saying anything. All, all we, we do know this. Deshaun Watson has ties to Atlanta. His trainer's there. He's from Gainesville, Georgia, which is about 10 minutes from Flowery Branch. He works for the Falcons as a ball boy back in the day. He has a relationship with Arthur Blank. So clearly there are connections between the two. All of that said, we know nothing else in terms of what this means, what, how the Falcons really feel about this, other than they took the meeting, and the barrier to take the meeting was presenting a trade offer to the Texans. So you're not going to present a trade offer to the Texans, I think, if you're not at least serious about it. There's been every indication that I think if they were not serious about it, they would have pulled out by now, right? Like, I mean, it's getting a little bit close to, to do that. So, you know, I, I don't know how they feel about it. When, and if this does happen, whenever Arthur Blank, Arthur Smith, and Terry Fontenot talk, they're going to face a lot of difficult questions about, well, why do you feel comfortable with this? What due diligence, what due diligence have you done? Because, remember, this kind of came out of nowhere in some, in some cases, at least publicly, in the last, what, 72 hours, if that? Maybe mm-hmm. less. And so how much due diligence could you have possibly done on a very complicated case involving 22 complaints? And if you remember, there was actually a 23rd complaint that ended up not going forward because when the judge in the case said that they had to no longer be anonymous and give their names, one case dropped out. So there were at one point 23 cases. Like, that's a, that's a lot. That's a, I, I've read every complaint, and that, that takes time to go through, with, and that's just the bare minimum versus what you have to really do to feel comfortable with making this move if you can feel comfortable with taking this move. So there are a lot of questions for the Falcons if they end up going through with this of how much work they really did to feel really comfortable with this situation from that perspective, and that obviously in some cases I think would – probably take precedent over anything football related is this guy's going to be the face of your franchise so you have to wonder of how much research have they done and how comfortable can they feel after after 72 hours now they who knows maybe they come out and say we've been looking into this for x amount of time and you know i think they'd have to kind of prove it in some ways but we shall see what happens again if this happens for the falcons i think there are just a lot of questions that the front office and the owner are going to have to answer about their pursuits and their decision to trade for Deshaun Watson. Michael, I get that nobody in the club is talking, but you did have Kyle puts Kyle Pitts, their tight end, put out on Twitter that uh, it's going to get scary in Atlanta. Now, we do know that Kyle Pitts and Deshaun Watson have the same agent, David Mulligetta. And so just curious as to what you make of that situation, the fact that he did pull that down minutes after he put it up. What, what did you glean, if any, insight from that? Uh, I honestly did not glean a thing from it because social media can be weird. They also just signed Casey Hayward, by the way, another David Mulligetta client who represents Kyle Pitts, who represents AJ Terrell, who's 
the real main defensive young cornerstone on this franchise and is also the agent for Deshaun Watson. So who knows what Kyle Pitts was tweeting about or not tweeting about. And sure, did it raise some eyebrows? Absolutely. But I, I'm always loath to say, oh, this was definitely about X or Y until we know it was about X or Y. And we might not know that, oh, I don't know, forever or at least until Kyle Pitts talks again. Like, we just may never find that answer out. But it, it definitely raised some eyebrows. I'm actually covering the NCAA tournament for us in Greenville, South Carolina at the moment. And uh, my phone just started going, you know, bananas because uh, all, he had sent that. And I'm just like, what is going on here? And then by the time he even got to it, he took it down like two minutes later. So who knows? That's just part of this uh, ongoing uh, I don't even know what the right word would be to use it. That has been the Deshaun Watson trade saga. All right. Thanks, Michael. We appreciate a few minutes of your time. Get back to tournament coverage, and we'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Anytime, guys. All right. That's ESPN Falcons reporter Michael Rothstein joining Kenny and Coleman on ESPN Radio. RJ in Denver, hang tight. We're going to get to you in a few moments. Coming up next, we also have got Tom Brady Sliding in the DMs. I'll explain. <laughs> You're listening to Coleman and Candy, ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Freddie, there's a lot of people that have different opinions on where they think Deshaun Watson is going to land. And so with more on that, we got to go to the Candy call-in line and bring on RJ in Denver. RJ, you on ESPN Radio. What up? Hey, what up? What up, fellas? What's good? What's good? Hey, um, love the swag of the show. Just real quick, quick question. You know, I just don't understand why the idea of Deshaun Watson swapping for Kyle Murray hasn't gotten more traction. I think Bart brought up a good point. And by all consensus, you know, all the talking heads at ESPN have said, you know, this is not a bad idea. And on both parties, I, I think it does make a lot of sense. And I just don't understand why that hasn't gotten more attention. What am I missing? Well, it could be a couple of things. Number one, Deshaun Watson has a full no-trade clause, so it's got to be a place that he would actually want to go. And it doesn't strike me as Arizona being one of those places. If you look at the finalists for Deshaun Watson, they're all in the NFC South. And, you know, essentially being in that footprint, being in that region is something that's important to him. The other part to this is if you're trading Deshaun Watson, what you know, if you're trading for Deshaun Watson, if you're the Arizona Cardinals – what else are you including in that trade with Kyler Murray? True. Like, that's the other piece of this. It's not like Deshaun Watson and Kyler Murray are the same. They're not. Deshaun Watson is a top-five quarterback. You'd have a hard time making a case for Kyler Murray being a top-ten quarterback. There are levels to this thing. And although they may be in the same building, they got damn different views. And so I, I don't know that Arizona and Steve Kime are willing to part company with the kind of draft capital along with Kyler Murray that it would take to be able to swing a trade like that. I don't know, Freddie. See, that's just the way I see it. What do you think? Yeah, here's the deal with that, and to echo what you had to say, if I'm the Arizona Cardinals, after all we've gone through in the offseason of Kyler Murray to let them know that we want him to be our quarterback, why are we just going to turn tail and bring in somebody where we don't know how long it's going to take for A, Deshaun Watson to get on the field, and B, to get him up to speed in a, in a brand-new offense? Kyler Murray may be whatever Kyler Murray has been, but they 
spent a number one draft pick on him, and they've gotten exponentially better each and every year. Five years his first, five games his first year, eight wins his second year, eleven wins his third year. So we're not talking about somebody that is a regressing person when it comes to playing quarterback. If I'm Arizona, as talented as Deshaun Watson is, you believe you have a dude that going forward, once you get past this offseason, can be the dude for your football team and what may turn out to be the NFL's best division in the NFC West. No doubt about it. And Arizona's got some salary cap constraints that they're operating with. So that's probably why they're not in a hurry to bring on Deshaun Watson and his $35 million salary in 2022. Coming up, we got Gonzaga. ESPN Radio. This just in, and I'm told in my ear that this is not a joke. Tom Brady just tweeted, These past two months I've realized my place is still on the field and not in the stands. That time will come, but it's not now. I'm coming back for my 23rd season in Tampa. Unfinished business, LFG. Kenny and Coleman on ESPN Radio and E+. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. You heard from the rejoin that Tom Brady is coming back to Tampa, and we know that's going to be a hot ticket. Hot ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, where you earn rewards with every purchase. Vivid Seats Rewards is your ticket to more tickets. Vivid Seats Life happens live. Tap in on the candy call in line, 888-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. Or where you think the best landing spot for Deshaun Watson is. But, Freddie C., Deshaun Watson isn't the only high-profile player that we're keeping our eyes on as, of course, we're moving through the NFL free agency period. We just found out that Tennessee Titans wide receiver Julio Jones, former Atlanta Falcon, was released by the Titans, is an impending free agent. And so we also got the report that Tom Brady slid into the DMs of one Julio Jones to try to recruit him to come down to Tampa Bay to run with the Bucs this season. Now, we know a part of the reason why the Bucs offense struggled late last year was because they didn't have some weapons. Chris Godwin got hurt. You had Antonio Brown miss a significant portion of the season with injury and suspension. And so it was looking a little... A little dicey for the Bucks in terms of the weapons, the skill position core that Tom Brady had to work with. But it doesn't seem like that's going to be an issue in 2022. The Buccaneers have re-signed Chris Godwin to a three-year deal for $60 million with $40 million guaranteed. And now you have Tom Brady taking it upon himself to play general manager and recruit Julio Jones down to Tampa. Now, we all know that this is possible to be able to put all these pieces around Brady because Brady has a $20.3 million cap hit, which is significantly less in terms of the number and the percentage of the cap he's taken up in comparison to one Aaron Rodgers when we start breaking down the two favorites to make it out of the NFC to the Super Bowl. So this is another one of those things, Freddie C. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the Aaron Rodgers conversation, Mm -hmm. he's out of excuses as far as I'm concerned. Sure, And I'm not saying that you shouldn't try to get as much money as you possibly can, but you have a hard time reconciling making as much money as you can with being willing to do whatever it takes to enhance your legacy at this stage of your career, and that's the edge that Tom Brady continues to give himself over one Aaron Rodgers, and that's why in my book, I feel more confident saying that the Bucks are more likely to get to the Super Bowl in 2022 than the Green Bay Packers. Okay, the one question I have about this whole recruiting when it comes to Tom Brady and Julio Jones, how much does Julio Jones have left? And whatever he has left, is that going to be enough to help your offense? Is that going to be enough to be an asset to your offense? 
for all of Antonio Brown's Antonio Brownness when he was on the football <laughs> field and when he was right. He was a productive player for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they won that Super Bowl and before he went all you know, all Magic Mike before the end of his career in the National Football League <laughs> last year against the New York Jets. At least he still had something. He still could be a productive player. I wonder about that with Julio Jones because, and Chris, you know this from seeing it and dealing with it, once you start getting injured past 30, those injuries don't stop. They all, there's always going to be something, a nagging here, a nagging there. And, and Julio Jones, a guy that when he was right, was maybe one of the more physically gifted wide receivers we've seen the last 10 to 15 years in the National Football League. That was a bad boy who was a big man with ballet feet and could get skinny in those kind of areas and make those kind of plays. But now, how much does he actually have left where you say to yourself, yeah, Tom Brady's recruiting him, but do we really need him? Should we really acquire him? And that's a question right now that I don't know how much he has left, but I don't believe it's enough to be a difference maker or whatever kind of difference he can make with that Tampa Bay offense and Tom Brady being his quarterback. Wow. Listen, I have way too much respect for Julio Jones to say that definitively right now. Injuries have been a concern the last few years with him, and I'm not dismissing that. Here's what I'll say. They don't need Julio Jones to be a full-time player. Mm -hmm. This is not like the Brooklyn Nets with Kyrie Irving. What you need from Julio Jones is to be a red zone threat, situational threat, and then, of course, once you get into the postseason, be somebody that's reliable. They went and signed Russell Gage in free agency. They got Chris Godwin. You got Mike Evans. You got a nice little core. But Julio Jones, a player like Rob Gronkowski, who actually came out today and said it's likely that he could potentially return to Tampa Bay as well, Those are the guys that make a difference in terms of being able to have success once you get to the postseason. So we'll continue to watch what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers do with Tom Brady.